This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. This week's preview, we are talking about SMU and East Carolina. The season finale for the Pirates as they close up their season with a November 28th matchup against the SMU Mustangs. We're going to break it all down. Brett Hickman will join us shortly on the podcast. Before we do that, wanted to talk to you guys about our special going on on 24-7 Sports and Hoist the Colors. As we speak, it's our Black Friday and Cyber Monday Thanksgiving week special. This will run from now until Monday, uh, December 1st, I believe is the date uh, that it will conclude. But it is a 75% off special on Hoist the Colors for our annual subscription, which is the best deal we will run point blank. We had 50% off last week. This week, 75% off. That is less than $30 a year total for new subscribers only. Uh, we're not offering an upgrade with this, but if you are a longtime member, uh, always remember that you do have access to CBS All Access, and that is a more than $100 value we offer our longtime members who are not on promotional uh, pricing upon their entry. So we appreciate the longtime member support. If you're a a uh, fan who has been on the fence about subscribing on Hoist the Colors, definitely take advantage of that 75% off deal that will run through December 1st. Uh, and with that, you will get access to the conclusion of this football season and also uh, the conclusion or near conclusion all the way through next football season. A full year for less than $30 a month. No better deal. Take advantage of that now. All right, and let's talk ECU and SMU. Let's welcome in. This week's guest co-host, he is Brett Hickman, uh, the head coach at West Brunswick High School. Brett, how's it going? Good good to have you back. Good, man. Glad to get a little break from school and, I guess, have a weekend full of eating and watching football. I guess that's as normal as we can get in 2020. Yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving week for me is, as a kid, I enjoy Christmas more, obviously, because you get gifts. But as you get older, Thanksgiving week, to me, is the best holiday. Football, food. You know, family, which can be good or bad, depending on how it is. But uh, I definitely, uh, definitely love some Thanksgiving, mainly because of the food. But uh, Brett, let's dive into this matchup: ECU and SMU. Um, the, the season finale for East Carolina, it will be. Uh, and there was some talk about scheduling an extra game, but this will be the final game for ECU football in 2020. And before we kind of get into this matchup, just coming out of the Temple game, want to get your thoughts on it. I know you watched the game. Um, the Pirates pick up their second win of the season, the 28-3 victory over Temple. Just just your initial thoughts on that football game. Well, I mean, it's always nice to play a fifth-string quarterback. It was pretty apparent early in a ball game that 
Temple wasn't going to be able to do uh, certain things that I feel like you have to be able to do at the at the FBS level, and that's stretch the field horizontally and vertically. And some of Temple's best players are wideouts, so you know being able to negate that and essentially really dive in with a with a variety of run stunts and run blitzes. I, you know, and I, the defense did what they were supposed to do. I, you're certainly not trying to take anything away from them, but it was, I thought, when it got to 17, it just never really felt like the game was in doubt. You know, a lot of positives. thought special teams obviously played well with the, you know, the kick return and, and you know, flip well, I guess the return game was good. Verity didn't have a great game, obviously, with the, with the block kicks and and, and the miss and, uh, you know, offensively they hit two or three big plays, but I, I don't know if I was listening to y'all this week or the post game podcast or, or maybe I was reading up on it, but Temple has a propensity to, to give up big plays, but they don't give up a lot of sustained drives. So you look at it and I think two big plays certainly, uh, in the passing game kind of made the numbers look a little bit better than they were. It wasn't a very efficient offensive performance in my opinion, but, uh, when you're one and six, you take them how you can get them, or one and seven, or whatever East Carolina's record was going into the game. So uh, that team deserved a win. I, I I haven't listened to anything the coaches have said this week, but just the way the Navy and the Tulsa game went, and then kind of falling apart against Tulane, you could kind of tell it was, it was a desperate team that that needed something positive to build into you know, late November. Yeah, and just when you look at kind of this game, I think it, you know, they, they, like you said, they just need to win for confidence' sake. And I think going forward, if they would have found a way to lose that game, uh, you almost start to kind of question where the the team is, the program is. But you get some positive momentum. I mean, you can still make the argument, of course, that ECU and we've been over ad nauseum could be four and four right now if they catch a few breaks with Tulsa and Navy. But they're not. They're two and six. So it is what it is. But um, I think this week will be a totally different animal, Brett, and we'll get more into this matchup with SMU 7-2 coming to town. But on the surface, I look at this game, and I don't think ECU has to go out and win it, but I think at least they have to play one of their better games of the year and at least contend to kind of go into the offseason with some momentum. You look back at last year, the Tulsa game to finish the season, uh, that was just not the way Mike Houston wanted to go out in year one. I think he really will challenge his team and staff this week to put a, a strong performance together. Now, they could play well and not win, but I think you at least have to find a way to contend and make this an interesting game. Just how important is it to go into an offseason, which is more critical than any in recent memory for me for EC football, just with some momentum? Yeah, you know, growth in record is not going to happen. I think they went 4-8 and eight last year, and just by – sheer number of, of games and playing conference only opponents. I mean, this team can only get to three wins, um, you know, but they've been more competitive across the board in a sense that nobody other than Cincinnati has really lost them uh, early in ball games. And, you know, I know Tulane pulled away late and, and, but in and, and UCF for that matter, but this team is, They've won two games against teams that they haven't beaten, and they've been competitive in two or three other games. So, you know, the improvement is evident across the board. Um, you know, I, this is such a weird year. I mean, I, I don't think you factor in winning and losing as much as you just want to continue positive momentum. And, 
And, you know, I think the biggest thing is this, a lot of these guys have never had a true off season. And I can remember, you know, just being, um, the year we won the Hawaii bowl, I guess was 2007, the 2007 season, just the momentum that that generated, uh, going through the off season. And of course it led to a really good start in 2008, you know, winning the game and winning, ending the year on a two game winning streak would, create some very useful momentum to a program that's got a bunch of kids who really have not had uh the january february march april and to me that's where you build your team is is january through august so it would be it would be readily apparent that this team needs and needs more positive momentum you know because the record's not going to show growth but I, I think anybody who's watched them consistently sees a better football team and product than what they put on the field at, at least their best this year is better than their best was at any point last year so um you know we we just need to see that more and we need to see it against quality football teams because the cincinnati's and the ucfs of the world that you're chasing in the east um you know, SMU is that quality of team. They're just in the other side of the – I know we're not playing divisions this year. I get that. But, you know, roster-wise, that's been, um, you know, the type of teams we've been chasing the last couple of years. So, if you can compete with SMU and Tulsa, you know, maybe you bridge the gap next year to where you can compete with the UCS and Cincinnati's of the world. Yeah, Mike Houston said it best earlier this week. You know, ECU has to play its best game of the season just to have a shot on Saturday. And I, I think that is – is true. They got to play well in every facet. Um, Brett, I'm going to talk more about this next week when I do kind of a season wrap up. But you know, when you look at kind of this season as a whole, and you just talked about it, some of the growth we've seen. When you look at specific areas of this football team, kind of where do you think ECU has made the, the biggest strides? And then going forward into the off season and next year, where do you want to see them make their biggest improvements? Well, the one thing they've done, they've established some some kind of go-to players on each side of the football. I mean, I think it's really hard to not be excited about the growth they've made in the secondary. You know, it's a team that's better on the back end defensively. I think they've found two backs that, that are going to be as good as anybody in their league offensively. Um, you know, they, they've got good enough depth at receiver. I think this team obviously has got to – get Johnson really needs to emerge a little bit more next year is more of a go-to guy, but you know, he's a guy that can obviously use the off season and everything. But the exciting thing is I think the running game on offense has proven to be much more effective with the two backs and the offensive lines just gotten better and better and better and better every week. Um, I can really only, you know, Cincinnati's overwhelming a bunch of people, but really other than that Georgia State game, that that group's not played awful, and, and especially in run blocking, they've just gotten better and better and better. So establishing the depth chart at the line of scrimmage on the offensive and defensive line and then the emergence of some good players in the secondary and, and, and the backfield, the offensive backfield, you know, seems to be um, a real positive to take into January, but you know, they're still obviously – you are what your record says you are. And when you look at the raw data on defense, uh, it's nowhere near where they want to be. So they've got to continue to make strides in that capacity. And I, I don't 
I don't think anyone, you know, with any functioning eyeballs is going to be really thrilled with the lack of consistency the offense has had, particularly in the passing game. So, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of things they're going to have to address in spring practice as well. Yeah, Mike Houston made a good point the other day. A guy like C.J. Johnson, who, you know, who you just talked about and is in his sophomore year, arguably the go-to target in the passing game. He has never had a spring practice due to yep. COVID uh, this past year and then uh, obviously getting in in the summer as a true freshman. So you're talking about a guy going in his third year, never had a spring practice. So I just I hope and pray they get a full offseason. I think that will make such a difference across the board for all these young guys. And uh, we'll talk more about that in the offseason. But uh, before we dive into this SMU-ECU matchup, we're going to take a quick break here from uh, a couple of sponsors. We'll be back on the other side. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, back on the Hoist of Colors podcast with Brett Hickman. Let's dive into this ECU-SMU matchup, Brett. Um, in my estimation, probably, you know, easily a, a top three or four opponent ECU's face this year. I mean, they're in that realm, not up to Cincinnati, but in that UCF-Tulsa-type realm, I believe. Um, Tulsa probably a little bit better of an all-around team. But uh, on paper, SMU averaging 38.7 points per game. They are... They're only giving up 28.5 points per game, which is a a pretty high number, but better than what they've done in the past. Um, But, man, their offense is what what they are known for. And, uh, Brad, I know you've watched a few of their their games to try and get a feel for them. Just kind of what concerns you most about this matchup Saturday? Well, they got got an NFL kid playing quarterback. That makes us (laughs) – that always makes it tough on you. You know, Buchel, I feel like that kid's been in college for like eight years now, which, you know, know. a lot of people – a lot of people at East Carolina decided to take that path too, but it's because they had too much fun. But I think it's – I feel like that kid was at Texas, like when Mac Brown was there, but maybe I'm wrong. But he – He's the engine that drives the bus for sure. Their tailback's a really good player. His name's kind of slipping in my mind right now. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure Garrett Riley's calling the plays there. So, I mean, that's a familiar name to, to East Carolina. And, and there is an influx. What Dykes has done a really good job of the last couple of years is uh, he's an air raid guy, you know, working for Leach. And they were almost complete air raid at, at but he's brought in Rhett Lashley last year and Garrett who's doing some of the same stuff his brother's doing it at Oklahoma and they've kind of combined the power run principles with 
with the air raid and it, it's it's pretty man what they do offensively they they do some really good stuff and and 39 points a game you know that says enough and they're going to be tough to stop i don't think there's any doubt you know they're as good as anybody east carolina's played offensively so the engine starts there you know defensively they are a little bit better than what they've been in my opinion i think the one thing that they've done uh, that's a little odd, I guess, is they, they do a lot of this hybrid kind of stack defense, three safety looks, which can cause just some issues. It seems to be the new flavor of the week in the area of the Big 12 and then what used to be the AAC West. Um, and and yeah, East Carolina actually did a really good job attacking them last year. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I guess well, the telltale sign is how well Holton can deliver the football and if they can run the ball against all the stunts and the angles and the things that SMU is going to do. But, um, yeah, I went back and watched the Tulsa game. The, the one thing Tulsa got them with and they were able to get back in the game so they were really able to get after Buchel and the left side of their offensive line got beat on, on a few – you know, gave up a sack fumble, gave up a couple big third down sacks. You know, can East Carolina get a pass rush? That's always the big thing off off the deep ball and the play action pass and force them to get rid of it quick. Uh, but it, it's a tough, tough task. They're going to have to play well offensively and, and run the football, keep the ball away from them. You know, the principles that, that you talk about against a team like UCF is very similar against a team like SMU. Yeah, and I brought up some of the numbers. You know, we did this earlier in the year with, with Tulsa quarterback Zach Smith and kind of looking at uh, his numbers against pressure versus no pressure from pro football focus. Uh, I did the same with Shane Buchel. Uh, and, you know, similar story. And, again, we talked about this. I mean, the quarterback that faces pressure is always going to be less efficient than a quarterback that doesn't. But uh, when he is not pressured this year, again, pro football focus grades players on a scale of 1 to 100. Uh, he is a, he has a grading of 88.3, a completion percentage of 70%, 20 touchdowns to one interception under no pressure this year. Now, when he has been pressured, uh, he is only completing 40% of his passes, 350 yards, one touchdown to three picks. So, again, only thrown four picks all year. Three of those have come under pressure, and he's only been pressured – according to Pro Football Focus, on 87 of 360 dropbacks. So their offensive line has been good in terms of getting him uh, time to throw. But if you're ECU, you have to come up with a way to pressure him. Otherwise, he's just going to sit back there and pick you apart. I mean, we've talked about ECU's improved secondary, but this is the type of game where if you don't move him off his spot and make him think extra in the pocket, they're just going to have, have a day. So – if you're Blake Carroll, Brett, what you know? Do you blitz a lot this weekend? Do you have to disguise stuff? Kind of what do you think maybe Coach Harrell's thinking going into this game? Oh, I think you'll see a very similar game plan to what they did against Tulsa, which was really effective in the first half, which was you know some delayed second level blitzes and you know you got to get up in their face and make them throw it over the top of you. I I, I don't think there's any doubt when when a guy like that and that. It, you know, the air raid, the RPO kind of meshed with what they do. Um, you can't let them get to certain break points and routes. And what that means is, is a sense that, you know, if you can collision people and not allow that quarterback to just catch, play fake, ball out, and get them just a little bit off rhythm, 
you know, then that opens up some some dogs and some pressures and some things of that nature. You know, the first half of Tulsa is as good as East Carolina's played all year, in my opinion. That's what you've got to do against Bushill. And if you just sit back and you try and drop eight or or even drop seven and rush four, if if you don't have a dominant pass rusher, you know, he's gonna light you up. So, um, you know, but the more you bring you know, the more aggressive you've got to play in the secondary. And, and that means Fleming and McMillan and, and even the nickel Sams and the, and the safeties have got to hold up. And I think this is a game, they do a really good job attacking the middle of the field. Like a lot of those air raid teams do with the, with the Y cross and, and the, the middle seam RPOs and, and that kind of nature. When you, when you don't have, um, you know, in my opinion, your best safety, uh, it, that's where I think SMU will try to exploit East Carolina. So that's the chess match that they're in. But they're going to give up points this weekend. I mean, I think the, the the key to this game is offensively, can East Carolina score with them? Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, I, I think uh, we, did, we did have a question from a poster who wants to know kind of what to expect from SMU's defense. You addressed a little bit of that earlier. Our site is actually – down right now, 24-7 sports is almost a issue, so I can't pull up the questions we got. But I know one uh, poster did ask about what to expect from their defense. Last year, they had a bunch of transfers. They were very aggressive. They blitzed a lot. They mixed up stuff. They were susceptible to big plays. And outside of watching the second half against Tulsa, uh, I haven't seen too much of SMU this year. But, Brett, I know when you look at their defense, they do do some stuff to try and confuse you. But are there plays to be had there? Yeah, there are. I mean, I think the one thing that really jumps off the page when you look at the stats is they are an elite offensive team on third down. They're almost 50%, but defensively, they're also 45% conversion against, which is really, really high. Um, So, you know, the biggest thing with me is how efficient East Carolina can be in obvious passing situations, third and fives, third and seven, third and eights, whatever. I mean, there is no play for third and 12, but if you can – if you have a good day on third and medium and you can move the change, you're going to have a shot, you know, in my opinion, I think that's the, I think that's the biggest key. Uh, the one thing is, is the three safety look, it just changes the shell. Uh, meaning in, in, in most passing concepts, the quarterback is going to get a pre-snap read off of the rotation of the safeties, one high, two high. And that weak safety, a lot of times the guy to the boundary is the guy that the quarterback's going to get his telltale off of. But when it's a three safety look, you know, you almost have interchangeable parts back there. So they do a lot of that in their nickel and dime defenses. And that just, when you don't see it, it, it always worries me, but East Carolina did a pretty good job against it last year. I think the easiest thing to do is, if you can run the football and stay ahead of the chains and or be efficient in the early passing game, you know, as East Carolina has been at times in the RPO game and working Sneed in the slot and some of those things like that, you can keep them out of those exotic looks. And, you know, they're no different than everybody else. The, the less exotic that you can get and the less those D linemen can tee off on you on third down and getting wide Russian techniques, then, then East Carolina can, you you are able to run more of your base stuff instead of your five and seven step drop and deep you know deep concepts to get people open so you know the key offensively is is third down efficiency when you get put there but if you can play the whole game in third and four and third and five as opposed to third and eight they they have to become a little bit more predictable 
Yeah, I was looking at those third down numbers the other day, especially from their offense, and pretty remarkable what they've done. Last year they were a huge fourth down team offensively. This year they're not having to go for it as much on fourth down because they keep converting third downs. So yeah. uh, last year they went four or five of five on fourth down against ECU in basically what was a game-deciding stat. But um, last year, and I want to get your take on this, Brett, Interestingly enough, C.J. Johnson, he was coming off that huge game versus Cincinnati the week before. He leaves the SMU game last year, the first series with a concussion, doesn't come back in. Tyler Sneed has a 19-catch, 230-yard game. So, I mean, from my point of view, as, as somebody who isn't familiar in the coaching world, I see SMU doing whatever they can to take away Tyler Sneed coming into this game because usually you want to stop what they exploited against you last year. Do you think – not facing C.J. Johnson as SMU's defense last year, do you think maybe that opens up more things for C.J. or, or Blake Prohl if, if they make a concerted effort to take away uh, Tyler on Saturday? Well, I don't think there's any doubt because this team has taken on an identity where Snead has kind of become Holton's go-to guy, in, in my opinion, at least from a catch standpoint, not necessarily. I mean, I still think when you look at East Carolina, the – not necessarily the take it off the top guy, but the guy who can catch the ball, break a tackle and turn it into 80 yards. That's still Johnson, in my opinion. Um, you know, so the idea is you take those, you take two corners, the, the, the nickel Sam and then the two safeties, or then you get into a nickel look where you now have, instead of five of those guys, you have six of those guys. Do they try and bracket Sneed, you know, which is going to solo Johnson up a little bit on the outside or pro and can you is he good enough to do what he did against temple and turn you know a six catch game in you know that's what he did against cincinnati last year it was like the temple game times 10 he just catches a bunch of one-on-one balls and you know breaks the tackle and turns it into a big play you'll you'll you're gonna see like the play I broke down this week, they're not going to sit there and let Snead go untouched into the seam. I mean, they're they're going to bracket him. They're going to wall him off, and then they're going to try and just keep and stop that run game with five and a half, six people so that they they can bracket that Snead in the slot. I mean, they're not going to let him catch 19 balls. That That's just not going to happen. I think that's in, – and the way he's emerged this year. So can Pro or Johnson get going and or – can the running game really make them pay because they're going to try and stop the run with five or six guys. Yeah, and, and they've been uh, susceptible to the run at times this year. So if ECU can run the football, I think that'll make a big day. I, mean, I just think this is a game uh, where ECU probably has to score offensively at least into the high 30s, if not the 40s, to win. I mean, I think they – I just don't see ECU stopping SMU at a high level on Saturday. I mean, Shane Buchel has only thrown four picks all year. Uh, they rarely turn the ball over. They rarely get stopped. I mean, I, I just think this is a game that ECU's offense has got to play this potential for the Pirates to have a chance. Um, do you think this offense is capable of going out and, and outscoring SMU? You know, yeah, I think I, – can they score 35-42? Absolutely. What you worry about is what you can't do, what you did against Cincinnati. You can't exacerbate the situation because they're going to score 35 if the game's a clean game. But they can get to – 52 59 really easy if you turn the football over or you don't play clean on special teams and east carolina has got to score touchdowns in the red zone 
because that team they're playing is not going to trade three for seven. They're going to score touchdowns. So East Carolina's got to play clean, and they got to get 35, 42 points and then maybe get a turnover or two. But, I mean, you turn it over and you give them a short field, you know, don't give them extra possessions and make them go the long way. And if East Carolina can match touchdowns with touchdowns and not kick field goals and or turn the football over – you know, that's how games end up where you get 450, 500 yards, but you only score 24 points and you end up losing 52 to 24. And and that's what can't happen on Saturday. Play play very clean offensively, but you got they're going to have to score too, obviously. And uh, we I know we had one more question, at least uh, from the standpoint of what do we want to see the most going into this game in terms of um, – I don't remember the exact question, but I think he was asking – I guess what is the most important thing for us to see from East Carolina on Saturday, whether it's to have a chance to win or just have a chance to feel better about the future. Um, Brett, what do you really want to see on Saturday? Is it the offense finally clicking? Is it the defense finding a way to come up with some stops on third and fourth down, which they weren't able to do against SMU last year? And what is realistic to expect from this game? What do you hope to see? I, I think the issue – I just want to see a complete game. I want to see a team that plays not necessarily their A game on each side of the ball, but I, I think an A game they can win the game. If you play your A game on offense, defense, special teams, I don't know if that t- this team's old enough or consistent enough to do that, but I'd like to see a game where they play well in all three phases. You know, this team's had a bunch of moments where they've been good offensively for a quarter or two. Um, you know, like even last week, that was a, that was a C game offensively in my opinion they were were just okay you know I'd like to see a team that plays well on offense that's efficient and their perfect game this week SMU's still going to get 28 points I mean it is what it is and I think most people understand that so I'd like to see a complete game and if you play a complete game and SMU plays poorly you can win the game and that the biggest and that will make it a 12 round fight I think that's got to be the ultimate goal Saturday because in a 12 round fight it comes down to who makes the last mistake. Yeah, and I, I asked Donnie this last week, but I, I'm we've yet to really see a clean game from the offense outside of South Florida. I mean, and, and they played well at Tulsa, but they still turned it over, I think, three times. They have turned the ball over now multiple times in six of the eight games. They've turned it over at least once in seven of the eight games. I mean, you, you just can't continue to operate at that level. They've got to find a way – uh, especially in a game like this where you're double-digit underdogs to win the turnover battle pretty decisively. We know SMU isn't going to give it away a ton, so ECU has got to limit turnovers on their side. Uh, Holt Naylor's needs to play his probably his best game of the season. Right, Rajay Harris, for as good as he's been, uh, I think he's now lost five or six fumbles this year, so you know SMU's going to be stripping out the ball. They've got to find a way to play a clean game offensively, which you talked about. I mean, just a complete game all around, and, and that's the only way they have a shot in my opinion, and, and I hope they do find a way to uh, to come out with a, a victory. I mean, it would be a huge – it would be the first signature win of the Mike Houston era. I mean, they've been on the verge several times now. Can they finally complete that signature win? We'll find out Saturday. But, uh, Brett, that's pretty much it as far as the our preview, man. Anything else you want to add just as you look back at this season, the craziness of 2020, uh, COVID-19, we've made it through, knock on wood, this game gets played, but – Ever since ECU kicked it off, it seems like we're going to be able to make it through without any interruptions on ECU's end. No, just 
you know, a, a note of thanks to the Pirate Nation for letting me help out in any any way I might have contributed this year. I've enjoyed it, and, um, you know, I'll stay as much of a factor as I can, but hopefully I'm back to coaching ball and everything, and everything's back to normal this week. But I've enjoyed the interaction, and uh, hopefully that we can cheer our, our guys on to a holiday victory this weekend and, and generate momentum. But I do want to continue to reinforce to, to everyone listening, this, this program's on the right track, man. They're playing hard. Um, you can tell the way Coach Houston's talking about them that he really likes the team. He likes the he likes the culture, uh, you know, which to me is incredibly important. And I, I can't say enough from someone who's been in college football um, pretty much for 12 years of my life how important January through July is. And this team did not. This team that really needed it was deprived of that. Um, and I think, I think this team's going to take a big step forward next year. I really do pending that everything gets back. Are they ready to compete in the American? Who knows? But I think you're going to see a football team. I'm going to call it right now on Thanksgiving weekend when we got one game left in 2020, this team's going to be in a bowl game next year. I just, I really do feel that. And, um, you know, I, I'm speaking with a lot of confidence and still on that every holiday weekend and I hope everyone just has a great time if if you're not with family you know call them and tell them you love them there you go the bold prediction the first bold prediction for 2021 from brett hickman uh coming in november of 2020 i like it uh hopefully the pirates can reach that six win barometer i'm just hoping we get a full off season in a normal 2021 um come next fall but brett again appreciate it man uh all your insight and and help with the coverage this year uh hopefully you guys at at west brunswick are playing football uh, in the spring of some sort, but uh, we'll catch up with you, I'm sure, uh, after the season to get some more insight, but I appreciate the time, man. All right, that is Brett Hickman, and that'll do it for our podcast. Again, I uh, would like to uh, encourage those that aren't members of Hoist of Colors to take advantage of our 75% off deal on uh, HTC and 24-7 Sports. Also, uh, thanks again to Brett Hickman, and I uh, wanted to wish each and every one of our members and uh, Pirate fans, a happy uh, Thanksgiving. Hope you guys stay safe. Enjoy family. Enjoy the food. We will be back on the podcast with uh, our SMU postgame pod. And until then, you can continue to read our coverage online, hoistthecolors.net. I'm Stephen Igo. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.